Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Eminem Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum. And we got a lot of stuff to talk about today. Uh, we'll start with the biggest news. It was announced yesterday at the time of recording that Austin Matthews has signed a new contract extension. It is five years with an average annual cap hit of $11.634 million. There was a, I mean, obviously this was a huge talking point on Twitter yesterday, and this was Twitter yesterday. Yeah, and I have a lot to say about it, and I just, like, I have so many thoughts, but I don't actually know how I truly feel about the deal. Yeah, I've seen, like, a lot of people seem to be on the extremes of this deal. Yeah, like, I should start off by saying there is technically no overpaying Austin Matthews. He will earn every penny of this deal and be worth it for every single penny. Yeah, like, uh, in the summer we said Nylander would likely get underpaid, Matthews you realistically can't overpay, and Marner will likely get overpaid, and that looks like it's yeah like so my thing with this is it's a fine deal i don't like the actual value i have no problem with yeah it's just what i don't understand is this is the exact type of deal everyone's expecting to be an eight-year deal i think when you look at what other rfas got and obviously other rfas aren't austin matthews but you look at the aggressive discounts that some of the others are on you kind of go all right well maybe when you Put it relative to the market, it's not such a great deal, especially considering it's only five years. It's not an eight-year deal. Yeah, that has to be the argument that relative to the market, it's an overpay, because if paying Austin Matthews this cap hit is the thing that stops your team from winning a cup, in an absolute sense, it means your GM sucks, basically. Yeah, so... And I think that's pretty much what Dubas said in his presser. He's like, paying our top guys is never going to be the problem. That's not going to be the problem with this team. If we don't win, it's because I can't fill out the bottom of the roster properly. Yeah. And I agree with that. And again, like, so I don't have an issue with this deal. It just feels... So You when you look at uh, comparison of cap percentage, it's right in between the Eichel and... Uh, McDavid deals, which is fair. That's right where you would expect. Yep. Um, the difference is, again, both those guys signed for eight years, not five. And that, that's the big thing for me is that this is still feels like a bit higher of a cap hit for only a five-year deal in a relative sense. But, I mean, at the end of the day, he's, he's your best. He's your franchise centerman. I'd say he's already a top five centerman. If not, he's very close. Very, he's top yeah. ten easy. And... You pay him whatever you need, right? Yeah, like he's a 21-year-old who leads the league in like scoring since he's in, or even strength scoring since he enters the league and everything. Like, Yeah, I like, found, the one thing I will say, I found it very interesting. People were trying to use some, I don't know, mental gymnastics to say that this was actually a really, really good signing. Um, one, of the, one of the reasons I saw for that was, well, five years is actually better because it means they won't overpay him on his last contract. When he's 34 to yeah. 36. Yeah, I was like, I okay, so we're, we're looking about 15 years into the future as a reason that this is a really good deal instead. I was like, okay, maybe maybe calm down there a bit. but Yeah, like I'm not nearly as low on the deal as a lot of Leafs fans, but the only argument I really have in terms of it being a really, really good deal is having Austin Matthews on his team on your team for the next five years is a really, really good thing. That is the best part of the deal. It has absolutely nothing to do with the actual contract. It's just having that player. Yeah, I would. To- I totally agree with that. I, again, I don't. You can't overpay this guy. I mean, no. There's just I don't. I could talk about anyone could talk about. Him. Ask any Leaf fan what Austin. Well, mostly any Leaf fan. Believe it or not, there are a couple out there that don't like him. But <laughs> true, um, yeah. Like I don't know. It's it definitely the interesting thing for me is it already seems like it might set the bar for Marner going forward, which I'm not. The thing is, Matthews is so much different from Marner. He's a centerman. He's better. He's a he's substant. Like I see a lot of people citing. I think their points per game is like the exact same. But like Austin Matthews is a. Like, he is distinctly better than Mitch Marner. He is in a different class of player. Yeah. Like, it's, I know Matthews isn't great defensively, but let's not pretend Marner is by any stretch at no. all either. And None of the big three kids are no. particularly good defensively. And when you look at quality of uh, teammate, that's, like, Marner's playing with uh, Tavares this year. Yeah. Like, his main centerman is John freaking Tavares. Well, 
given what we knew in the summer, apparently it would have taken $9 million to get Marner signed long-term. And Dubas didn't do it, and I would argue at the time, knowing what we knew, that was smart. But now, all of a sudden, people have adjusted their expectations to he's worth way more than that. But like, how much of that is Mitch Marner getting better, which is certainly some of it, and how much of it is playing with John freaking Tavares? Yeah, like... And I've already seen that, well, I mean, the Marner camp had came out and said that they believe he's worth as much as Matthews. and Which made me cringe. Yeah, and then there was a quote that someone reported saying that they were lowballing him, but apparently that was from the summer, but apparently it was from yesterday, just about the summer. It was, I don't know. That was confusing. The bottom, the, the point is, Marner should not be getting close to Matthews' number. Uh, I guess we can go into what you think Marner should get. I don't want to spend too much time because it's February. But at the same time, like, I don't, I'm trying to, I, when I'm talking about it, I don't know because realistically, eight, 8.5? Yeah, I believe, like, percentage of cap wise, Patrick Kane's original, like, five year deal out of ELC was, would be 8.5 in today's dollars. And I would think that is, that should be the max, right? Yeah. yeah, like that should be the contract, yeah. basically. But if you say if you tell anyone that he should only deserve eight point five, they're like people laugh at you. Yeah, because people like we were talking in our uh, group chat today that it's almost impressive that Mitch Marner, in my opinion, has become overrated despite being like a top twenty winger by the age of twenty one years old. Yeah, but like people just like going on. I know Facebook isn't the best place to to, to value guys, but like even parts of Twitter, it's just like. They think that Marner's the straw that stirs this drink for the team, and it's just not the case. I'm sorry. I don't even think he stirs the drink on his, his own line. Like, he does. He helps, definitely, but... Like, I'd say you flip a coin for yes, Tavares and, like, and Marner 50-50 or whatever, but it's not like... You replace Tavares with, I don't know, even Kadri as a centerman. He's not putting up these numbers. Yeah, it's not like... Marner is dragging Tavares to relevancy or anything like this. No, so... Like, it's a two-way street about as much as they come. Yeah, and that contract, I think, will be the bigger one in deciding... And I mean, again, in a relative sense, because if you can't fill out the bottom of your roster with just cheap depth, that's going to be a problem anyways. But that Marner... Wouldn't it be... For me, it would be hilarious to watch all the fans complain about Nylander and how Seven Mills going <laughs> to get him overpaid for about four months just to go... And the Leafs give Marner, say, $10.5 or $11 million and overpay him, like, 2 or $3 million. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. It's it's tough. I, I know an offer sheet for Marner has been a thing that I've seen more and more Leafs fans that I follow grow uh, wanting. I was like, that seems bold, too. But at the same time, maybe when you come down to it, if it's match an 11-something offer sheet or just take your four first-rounders and get out of there? I don't know. Yeah, like, there has to be a number where you're okay walking away from Marner, but it almost certainly makes the team worse. No, oh, it 100% yeah. makes the team worse. <laughs> Unless that's like a 15-point not like max contract offer sheet or something ridiculous like that. But Yeah, the th- and I guess, I don't know. <laughs> we can get a little bit in offer sheets here. It's probably... A moot point anyways, because it's not going to happen. But, like, if Carolina's the team offering that offer sheet and they still have no answer for what they're doing in goal, do you maybe feel a little bit better than that? Yeah. Then say, I'm trying to think of a team that's right on the cusp of... Like if the Penguins or yeah, something. Yeah, like, yeah, or like... I don't know, they don't have cap space, but... No, or like if the Blue Jackets retained Pinar in the summer and then offer sheeted Marner as well. Like, because you would think that those picks would be higher up. Like, or lower down in the draft, sorry. Yeah. Instead of, you know, I'm not, like, if the Hurricanes offer sheeted Marner, but their goaltending is still their starter, Curtis McElhaney, maybe you feel a bit better about that. I don't know. Well, the team in the best shape to offer sheet Marner is the Colorado Avalanche in terms of being relatively competitive and having the cap space. But also, I'm not sure the Avalanche want to sign Marner for $12 million and then have Miko Rantanen turn around and say, hey, I outscored him by 40 points. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's a, that Rantanen contract is definitely one that hasn't been talked about enough at all. Uh, if anything, I think though Marner and Rantanen should be trying to use each other as comparables Compar- instead yeah. of Matthews. And I don't know what that looks like either, but at the same time... I... So... 
Um, I think a lot of the way this Matthews contract will be judged in hindsight depends on Rantanen, Marner, and points deals. Yes. Do you think this like Matthews deal legitimately single signals that these guys are going to make like ten plus million? No, I don't. don't I don't think think it should. Oh, say they sign eight years, then ten plus. Maybe not. Whether it should, whether it actually does. Maybe the thing, like, okay. So here's the thing. If I'm the team negotiating these deals, I go like, we love you as a player, but you're not a centerman, a franchise centerman. For point, Point you could argue. but even Point doesn't, I don't think he has the, the underlying totals that Matthews has had. Um, like, maybe Point totals, but in terms of driving play with who he's playing with, I don't think it's as good. His problem is it took him longer to become Braden Point. Exactly. So I think as the team, you can still argue, say, okay, like, no, you guys are amazing players, but listen, there's about three players or two players that in this league that you give a blank check to, so to speak, and Matthews and McDavid are those two, right? Oh, like, two, yeah. I think you could still argue that as the team. How the player takes that, I don't know. But that's what I would be trying to say because, that's to me, that's the difference. Yeah, because I think if those three guys all – and line A, actually, I should say four. I might even be missing someone. There's a ridiculous amount of big RFAs this summer. But if all four of those guys end up with, like, 10-plus million – then I think the perception of this Matthews contract will completely do a 180. Yeah, people will love this yeah. contract if they all get double digits. Yeah, because if this is the start of something new where young players actually get their due in their real prime, then it can look good relative to his comparable still. Whereas if Matthews is out on an island here, then... Yeah, and I could still see all three of those guys getting between 8.5 to 9 and still looking at it as something new, even if it's not quite. Yeah. Um, because Just because the salary cap keeps going up and, you know, these guys are getting paid. and well, We're not super far removed from the McKinnon and Barkov contract. No, I mean, that's what, and so here's another thing. Um, we'll get to that in a second, but what I was going to say is, or the other thing is, maybe th- those three guys also want five-year deals. And yeah. the new thing that we see instead is players want five-year deals instead of six, seven, or eight. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, I think that's good. I, I, I was very happy that Matthews is the, the superstar trend in this because I love seeing Leafs fans squirm, and uh, it's just funny to me. But you knew it was coming. You knew that the, the days of RFAs getting absolutely screwed out of their first deal is, was going to be soon to over, and it, this might be the, the thing that starts it. I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of felt like it was coming for a while, so it wouldn't shock me if this Matthews deal is the start. Of that change. Actually, I would say the Eichel deal is because Eichel, like, Eichel didn't really do anything that made it look like he deserved 10 million AAV when he yeah, did it. Yeah, I guess. He went 10, 10 by 8, right? And yeah. Yeah, I think, and he, he could have probably, he easily could have bet on himself if he really wanted to and try and upgrade it. But, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's an interesting one. So, my question for you. All right. McKinnon, four more years at 6.3, or Matthews, five at 11.634. I don't think there's a right answer to this, if I'm being totally honest. A couple months ago, I think this question was posed on a radio station, yeah, and that was when I was kind of expecting Matthews to be at 11.5, but by eight, and at that point, I would have been, are you kidding? It's probably Matthews, right? Like, you get the term, yes, it's way more expensive. Now, with a one-year difference... My thinking on it is this. For a team like Colorado, I don't know if I would actually want Matthews instead of McKinnon because, yes, you have the the cap space. However, I feel like cap space is a very overvalued asset a lot of the times in the it NHL. Be for sure. You, you yeah. need to use that cap space to the right assets. and sign, You can't just go and sign a bunch of free agents in the summer and expect that to be an actual proper use because it could screw you over. Well, yeah, look at the money McDavid left on the table is now going to who? Alex Petrovic? Yeah, and <laughs> Milan Lucic. Yeah, like, like, it's, yeah guys nothing like, to his win probability on a given night. Exactly. I think if you're Toronto, I'm not saying you'd give up Matthews, but I think you could at least consider McKinnon at 6.3, half the price for, yes, a bit of a decline in play. But that gives you so much more space to work for four years. I would say McKinnon's probably the right answer, like on average. But the math, like Matthews, has so much of a higher upside than anyone not named Connor 
David in the league. Yeah, I would totally agree. I don't again. I don't think there's yeah. a right answer. I just thought it was a more interesting question now that we actually got the deals. Yeah, because like when referring to math, like McKinnon through his ELC was far more comparable to William Nylander than Austin Matthews. Yeah, like Austin Matthews is so like obviously McDavid's better than him. He's in a true league of his own, but Matthews is still like a tier above. Well, yeah, everyone else at the same age. And there is a two-year age difference there already, right? So McKinnon's probably already getting to the point where you don't figure he's going to improve too much more. You'll probably stay at this elite level for a while. But with Matthews, there's still a good solid two or maybe three years of growing left. And that's just a scary thought. Yeah, exactly. Like McKinnon's 23, which given what we know about age curves, it's possible that he gets better, obviously, but you shouldn't expect it anymore. No, between 23 and 25 is most people's peak. And then, you know, at the couple years after that, you, you stay a lot of elite players, especially stay around their peak, but then you start dropping off. Yeah, so. slowly but surely. But yeah, I don't know. I thought it was a, a fun... Fun yeah, question. Definitely a lot better of a question now than have you signed this contract. Yeah. Um, all right, let's move on then. I guess we spent, what, 15 minutes or so on that. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, playoff talk, I think, that we're going to do today. And the first one is the uh, Nashville Predators made a pair of buyings today. Uh, so they, they got Brian Boyle from the New Jersey Devils for a second-round pick, and then they tweeted, or uh, an insider tweeted, stay tuned, I don't think Nashville's done. Everyone had their hopes up, and it was Cody McLeod for a seventh-round pick from the Rangers. So these are two trades that I do not like for Nashville. I don't like them at all. Brian Boyle, I think, is probably still somewhat of a fine player if you include PK. I think he could still probably be a valuable asset on the PK. His 5v5 numbers have not been great this year by any stretch. Yeah, when you adjust for, like, everything, he still turns out to be a fine, like, above-average defensive player, but not to justify. Yeah, so adding Brian Boyle as it is is not a problem I have. It's giving up a second-round pick for him. It's the exact same thing the Leafs did two years ago, and I really did not like it when they did it. And now Boyle is older and worse, so I don't like it even more. Exactly. And that's the big thing for that deal uh, for me is just... Yeah, he, like, he is a fourth-line player, and he's still a fine one. A really good fourth-line yeah, center. Yeah, exactly. But that's a lot to give up for a second-round pick. And I know we make a lot of, of assets sometimes, but, I mean, that's just a lot for a guy who's going to play five, four months with you, like, yeah. and then probably walk in free agency. So, I don't know. I, it's not the worst deal in the world, but... You remember, like, uh, with the Tatar deal last year where Vegas... Was all in on Carlson, and then they kind of pulled out. Yeah, and then they gave Tatar for first, second, and third. Yeah, like, I'd rather not... Like, this reminds me a bit of that, where you could have got a big fish if you wanted to give up your first and something else relatively small, but instead you get a second, and then you get something way, way worse in return. Yeah, you get a much bigger drop-off. Yeah, I agree with that. And then you look at Cody McLeod and... I don't know what they're doing there. Uh, he's just not an NHL player. I don't know how you justify adding Cody McLeod to a team in 2019. No, I don't know what your model has him, but Manny Elk, I think, had him as like the third or fourth worst skater in the entire league. He had him as the worst. Oh, yeah. So, like, Ben Harper was above him? Yeah. Like, Mark Borowiecki was two spot, two or three spots above him? Like, that's just horrible. He, uh, he never makes the time on ice cutoff for mine, which is really, really concerning of a guy. He averaged six minutes a night on the New York Rangers. Yeah, like, like how is that a guy you're giving up? A, I know it's a seventh, but how, are you, how is that a guy you're giving up any assets for? Yeah, like he makes your team worse than calling up your AHL team's first liner. Or probably your second liner. Tech, like, yeah. Uh, last time he played, I had him in the bottom ten. Awesome. And he's gotten older and worse since then so that's so they've given up a pair of picks for a fourth liner a good fourth liner and a guy who's nowhere close to an AHL player and like, an AHL fourth liner just an absolute head scratcher for me uh again both probably not killer deals but if McLeod like I don't I don't even I haven't even checked Nashville's roster in a while but if McLeod takes ice time away from anyone you're just openly making your team worse yeah that's the thing is like a seventh-round pick probably provides you with nothing. Cody McLeod certainly provides you with less than nothing. Yeah, like, he's just, he's horrible. And, I mean, I know Ellie Tolvanen struggled at, earlier in the year, but you're telling me that calling Tolvanen up would be worse than 
giving up an asset for Cody McLeod. Yeah. Look at like Josh Levo just goes for an AHL player no one had ever heard of. Like, why would you need to add Cody McLeod for a pick? Yeah, exactly. Like, there's just so many. Nick Paul was just on waivers for Ottawa yesterday. Yeah, or the other him. day. Like, claim him. Put him on your fourth line. Exactly. Or be, he can be your 13th forward. He's not great. And I mean, we had this discussion. A lot of Ottawa fans had it. It was a weird hill to die on that no one claiming Nick Paul made everyone stupid. <laughs> but at the same time, like, if you're if this is your alternative, yes, you claim Nick Paul. Yep. So, yeah, it's just, I don't know. I think it would be hilarious if this is where they end their deadline acquisition. I think I think they'll be in the market for a big fish though. Uh, come the deadline, I would think so. I don't know who that big fish will be. I'm like maybe Stone if he's available, Panarin maybe. That'd be nice. Because um, I I think this team does need another big offensive weapon if they want to beat the Jets. They seem like a team that would be in on Duchesne. Yeah, Duchesne I could see as well. Uh, Since they're obviously biggest weaknesses up the middle. That gives them a lot of centers, but at the same time you can move someone. I'm sure Benino could play on the wing or something like that. Yeah, um, yeah. If you have Matt Duchesne, you do what you make Nick Benino do whatever yeah. you want. Um, yeah, Kyle Turris being your third center would be pretty pretty interesting. Uh, I, a lot of there's, I saw, I who it was, Bobby Cappuccino maybe. I think he tweeted today that he could see Panarin for Fiala a first and Tolvanen as a trade, and that'd be a lot it, for Panarin. That is a lot. And, his argument was pretty much Panarin's a game-breaker. He's probably a top 10, if not top 20, player in the NHL. I had him in my top 10. Yeah, So and those guys don't come on the market often. If this is what you think to win now, you're, you know, like if these next year or two is your win now, do you just go for it? The problem with Panarin's rental is like, if you could re-sign him, I'm okay with that. And if you can't, I'm absolutely not okay with that if I'm Nashville. Yeah, that's fair. And it doesn't sound like anybody really knows what the situation is. No, I don't think he... Him. I mean, well, the way it sounds right now, he wants to play in a big market or a warm market. And Nashville doesn't really fit the bill for either... Well, I shouldn't say not warm, but by warm, I just mean like Florida he wants yeah. to play in. It was like by a river... Or not a river, uh, ocean, was it not? Something like that. Because the, the rumor I heard was the Rangers, Tampa or Florida. <laughs> Imagine him in Tampa. Um, the Rangers, Tampa, Florida, Chicago was another option, I think. He, he would be okay to go back to Chicago, or Columbus was still kind of in the mix, I think. I believe those were the five teams. I guess he did choose Chicago once. Yeah, so, I don't, I don't know. I, this, I think the Predators do need to add something big if they really want to go for it again. I mean, they got a fine team if they don't, but uh, another big offensive piece could really help. Oh, definitely. Uh, obviously, you don't need to touch that blue line, like... At all. Uh, their goaltending is fine. Rene and Soros and whatever. That's good. But other than that. Yeah, it'd be cool if they went all in on Panarin, but. Yeah. It depends what the price, obviously, is. Uh, what do you think? Like, I'm, like what are you going to ask for for Panarin? I'd probably go first in a prospect. Because it's. Like, that's like, like, a, a, like a very good prospect. Yeah, that's the thing. You have to ask for the. Because, um, like, Matt Duchesne. He's a great player, and he will probably go for a first and a prospect if they do trade him. But the problem with uh, Panarin is to justify trading him, you basically have to get one of the prospects back that no team ever wants to give up. Yeah, yes, you do. Um, and I think that's going to be a problem because Panarin's not going to resign with the team right away. No. Uh, if, if you could uh, negotiate an extension with him and trade him, I think that would be different because... I feel like Nashville will be much more open to giving Tolvin in, who I do think has probably gotten overrated after his last year, but is still a very good prospect. I think they would be more open to giving someone like Tolvin in up. Uh, yeah, if you can re-sign Panarin, what you're willing to give for him completely changes. Yeah, I think the question for Columbus is, do you, do you ask for a roster player back? Because the big thing is, you know, if you're selling Bobrovsky and or Panarin because you don't want to let them walk, are you telling your fans and your team, hey, we're in the eighth seed right now, but we're just going to quit on this year? Or do you try and at least get a roster player back that can help you now and squeeze into the playoffs and see what happens? I don't like that idea. I think if you're selling Bob and Panarin and getting a second liner back, it's almost like a slap in the face to be like, we're still trying to be competitive after trading our two best players. Yeah, like, I don't know, I... I think fans would kind of get it in a way. 
It's I'm such sure a, some would like it. It's such a tough situation because for any other team, like I would be, if you know you're going to lose them and you know you're not probably not a true cup contender with this core or like this team that you have right now, I would be fine with it. But Columbus has never won a playoff series. No, they've been so like just. So do you owe your like do you owe your fans at least try for it while this is theoretically one of the better teams you've seen in years? Yeah, like uh, they've been talked about all the time this year because of Panarin and Bob, but Columbus is really underrated in far in terms of the most irrelevant teams of our lifetime. Oh yeah. So it'd be so hard to walk away from Panarin and Bob when they actually have a hope of being. But I mean, counterpoint, if you can get two or three real good prospects and two first rounders out of those guys, you could be okay next year already with, you know, you got Pierre-Luc Dubois as your number one C. So you have you have almost the hardest building pieces to get. You have two number one defensemen. You have Pierre-Luc Dubois as a number one C. And Corpus Allo probably somewhat of a starter, you would still assume. He struggled this year, but... Yeah, as far as young goalies go, you're on a better track than most teams with Corpus Allo. Exactly. And, and worst comes to worst, you can hire a guy to try and help work with him and give him some competition in the net. Um, so, like... Maybe if you just try and go all out for futures and you get a couple good prospects, you could be better than teams think next year already. Yeah, like if you could get a package like that, Fiala, Tolvanen, and a first, like it'd be so hard to turn that down. I would probably do that, especially because Fiala's a roster player, but he's also, what, 22 years old? Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. I guess when I said I wouldn't go for a roster player, I wouldn't want another 27-year-old second liner. You wouldn't want a Mikel Bodker or a, uh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But if it's a 22-year-old who can actually play, then that yeah. completely changes. I totally agree. Um, what are we going to do? Oh, yeah. So do we want to talk about Bobrovsky just staying on Columbus? Sure. So I think the the thing, the rumor that is out right now is that the Florida Panthers are kind of aggressively going after Bobrovsky. <laughs> they, uh, and they, Panarin, right? They've been rumored to get but want both of them in the offseason, however... They are rumored to want to trade for Bobrovsky and then entice him to an eight-year deal when he tr- gets traded for. And so I have a couple things on this. One, I don't even know what the package returning would look like. And for the Florida Panthers, I don't know if it would be worth it. The thing is, Florida is, what, I think 11 points out of a playoff spot right now? 10? 11. 11, 11 points out of a playoff spot. This is a guy you want to get in free agency anyways. Why are you going to give up good assets to get rid of or to acquire him? This is my answer. So I'd imagine James Reimer has to go back the other way because there's no way you can have Luongo, Reimer, and Bobrovsky on the books. That's the worst part is they already have two NHL goalies signed yeah. long term. So I would imagine Reimer goes back the other way. And I, if I'm Columbus, I probably don't hate that because, again, that may be your guy that you try and get playing with Corpusalo and split the net with him. Yeah, well, Reimer's a fine enough goalie. And again, he struggled this year, but, you know, his priors have been okay. So, But then you probably got to give up a, a solid prospect and, again, maybe a roster player or something. I, like, it's, I, don't, I don't even know. They're saying Hoffman, right? Was it? I didn't even see that. That's, like, at this point. And then, so the big thing for me here is... You know, like, do you give up, like, Hoffman, Tippett, and Reimer for Bobrovsky? No. No, I really don't. And then make it all that worse because you signed Bobrovsky, who is 30 years old already, to a $10 million per by eight-year deals, what the rumor is right now. That That's my thing. I would not. I tweet out today, I am one of the biggest Bobrovsky truthers. He got absolutely screwed out of the Vesna last year. He was put one of the best goalie performances we have seen in since we started tracking it yep. up. And he didn't even be, he wasn't even a finalist for the Vezina. Horrible. Horrible, horrible, horrible. However, don't sign him to an eight-year deal. Are you kidding me? No. Not at at 30. How do they not know Carey Price is two years younger when he signed his, and his still looks like an album. He's playing great lately, and he still looks looks like like that's going to be horrible. There's been two goalies that have been good that I can think of, like been relatively good till they're 38 or so. And I don't. Hank's not even thirty eight yet. I don't think. And Luongo's the other one. Yep. And Luongo's now struggling. But still, like you shouldn't be. And the, the biggest thing is, is goalies a lot of times when they have a lower body injury, that's what can really screw them up. Guess what? Borowski has had two big lower body injuries. lower body injuries. Come on, like and like goalies' primes are really short. If you give someone like an eight year deal, they're someone who's talented like Bobrovsky, There will be ups and downs. But 
you can say with near certainty at age 30 that you've missed the highest of the ups. Yep. And on those highest of the ups are the only time when Bobrovsky's worth 10 plus million. Yeah, exactly. I mean, go for it if you're Florida because you're in my division. But also, if you're not certain you can re-sign him, why would a team 11 points out of the playoffs ball out for a rental? Well, I'm assuming because the, they got, I guess they got permission to talk. That's Again, this is all just rumors, and it hasn't even been from a credible source yet. It's just kind of been from... Tossed around. Yeah, the smaller ones. Um, the, I'm assuming they would have to have a deal in place before he gets traded. And then they would trade for him and have sign it right away. Like, yeah, it's sad because I both think... Whoever gets Bobrovsky as a rental, extending him to eight years and ten million would make that trade much worse. And you have to extend him to make to even justify this trade if you're Florida. Oh, for sure. And yeah, like it's I just don't. I get they want to. Uh, th- this core is it's weird because they haven't won a playoff series with them really. But this core is almost in win now mode in terms of. Yeah, pretty much. Like, in the next three or four years, this is where you really got to go for it. You know, Huberto's 25, Barkov's 23, Hoffman's now 29, um, Trocek's 25, uh, Ekblad's 22 already. So, like, this team's not as young as it was, obviously, three years ago. No, like, they're not up in commerce. No, like, they need to do something now. So I do get why you need goaltending, because that's your biggest problem. But I feel like you're you're taking a real giant risk with that. I'd rather see them go all over Panarin. I'd rather see anyone go all over Panarin, pretty much. Yeah, like, I guess, you know, like, I just, I don't know what the answer for them is. Because, you know, you most years we could be able to say, oh, well, there'll be a goalie available in free agency. Will there? Like, I don't know. It, there's been, the goaltending has been so weird this past year, and no one wants to give up a backup or anything like that. No. So, but, like, I just, I... I cannot justify giving $80 million to a guy who's 30 years old and a goalie who's known. We've seen goalie performances from the best fall off a cliff. Yeah. So I, that's just, I want to just bring that up and say, stay away. I don't think that'd be a good idea for any team signing it. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Especially one 11 points out of the playoffs. Eh. Yeah. Like when you're, I, I just couldn't get over the team 11 points out is the one rumored to be doing the most like ludicrous trade of the deadline. Yeah. In terms of buying. Two weeks ago, we were talking about Dadnov as like an underrated guy you could buy at the deadline, and now it turns out the Panthers are the team buying, not selling. I don't really get no, where I don't. that came from at all. Yeah, I don't either. Um, I was gonna, I want to talk about the Western playoffs, and then we'll move into a different thing as well. Well, the West playoffs are absolutely crazy right now. They have gotten so tight at the bottom there. Yeah. So right insane. now, Vancouver controls the second wild card spot with fifty four points. Here are the teams that are in a legitimate... Every team, I would argue, is somewhat in it, but LA has 48 at the very bottom, so you can already probably count them out. Yeah. Six points is a bunch, but even six points isn't... Like, it's not insane. No, it's not at all. It's considering you go and look at the East, and the jump is almost 20 points. Holy shit. Yeah, Ottawa, Ottawa's got 43, and the second long card's 61. That's funny. So, but, so you got the West, you got six points back as LA... And then there's four teams tied with 51 points, which puts them three points back. Anaheim, Chicago, Edmonton, Arizona. Colorado has 52, and St. Louis is 53. That's insane. Like, I don't know if I've ever remember seeing this close of a race just between everyone. Yeah, it might be the tightest wild card race we've seen. And it's funny because I think almost any team who sneaks in here is just going to get blown the hell out of the water. St. Louis is the I was, one with hope. Yes, and maybe Arizona if they got everyone healthy, and then they could sneak up to the first wild card spot so they don't have to play Winnipeg. Yeah. Although they might never, as it is right now, they'd be playing Calgary anyways. But True. even then, like, I would still bet a lot of money that Arizona would lose a first-round series in there. But, yeah. like, I just... So my thing is, so I, I was saying today, when you saw Brian Boyle go for a second, I was like, wow, that's a lot. And then I thought about it. I was like, everyone's been saying that it's going to be a buyer's market this year because of how many teams were out of it. Because in the East, there are a ton of teams out of it. However, in the West, it looked like there was going to be a bunch as well. But now, Chicago's won a ton straight. Anaheim's dropped. Edmonton, and Edmonton, Arizona, and Colorado are all kind of right there. It might be a seller's market again this year. Yeah, it's looking like it's trending that way. So we did our who should buy and who should sell uh, last last week or two, week, two weeks, two or three weeks ago, I two guess now, ago. right? Um, so we pretty much went through who we thought should buy, who we thought should sell. 
how many of these teams do you think are actually going to sell? I don't think Edmonton is at all. Just LA. Yeah, I think LA should. Maybe Arizona. Maybe, but I mean, I don't, at this point, what do they have to sell? Not much. Like, most of their good rosters on IR, and if you... And I could sell their coach. Yeah, yes. Uh, we can get into how Carlisle's not been fired yet in a little if you want. But yeah, I don't think Anaheim's going to sell too aggressively. They they do want a roster shakeup, but I don't think I can't see them being full sellers because this is cores. I don't know. They shook their roster up a lot with those Delzato for Shen <laughs> and Derek Grant trades. You know, so Edmonton's not going to sell. You know that I have a hard time believing Colorado's going to sell. I don't think any of these guys are really going to buy either. But I could see Edmonton buying. I could see Edmonton buying as well. But even them, they. Kind of said that unless it's, you know, true non-rental, like the, the player, they're not spending their first rounder unless it's a guy with five or six years under contract left, right? Which is smart. Yes, that's totally fair. You know, anyone in a playoff spot, I find it hard that Minnesota would sell or anything like that. Yeah. Vancouver has said they're not buying, but they said they're probably not going to sell either. They might make a player-to-player trade. And the only team in the playoffs that... I could actually see selling is Columbus, but yeah, as far as the West goes, there's no way. It's just it's crazy, and then so you know, I was kind of bringing up maybe. Do you think it could be a seller's market? Because with how close the West is, I think it bodes well for teams like Ottawa, New Jersey, Detroit, uh, the Rangers. You know, those are four teams that are definitely going to sell. Philly will sell Simmons, and then we'll see what else they do as well. Yeah. Well, Philly's been streaking. I've been hearing about them acquiring a defenseman now, which would be wild. Yeah. So. There's four teams right now, five teams if you count LA, that I can see truly just being just dead, like, fire sale. And then Florida, I mean, again, you think they might be able to, should be selling, but it doesn't sound like they're going to. Yeah, it looks like it's kind of flipped in the past couple of weeks. Yeah, I, I doubt Buffalo will, but I don't think Buffalo will buy too aggressively either. I don't, I doubt they'll do anything. Yeah, they should, probably should stick around. I don't know what Carolina will do. Carolina's now only three points back of Columbus. Like, Carolina's really snuck back into the playoff race. Yeah, they're coming on strong. I was going to say, and when the team you're um, chasing is the team that's about to trade away their two best players, that seems pretty good for you. Yeah, I'd be okay with that. But, uh, again, that probably put them second wildcard just getting blown out by Tampa. But, yeah, it's not a... F- whoever sneaks into the... That's the other thing with Columbus is right now they're set to play Tampa in a first-round series. and Imagine I, making the playoffs playing Tampa, but not having Panarin and Bobrovsky even on your team. <laughs> True. But I also wouldn't want to mortgage my future on a playoff run in which I have to go through Tampa Bay in the first round. Yeah. And I mean, they're only one point behind Pittsburgh right now, too. Uh, the Metro's a little weaker than the Atlantic this year. Yeah, true. So, it, you know, they, they might be able to play Washington or hell, even the, the Islanders or something like that, which you may you might feel a bit better about your chances. But yes. again, you could also play the Penguins, and I wouldn't feel very good about those chances either. I would not feel very good about playing any of the Penguins, Leafs, Lightning, or probably Bruins to win a playoff series. Yeah, no, I wouldn't either. Um, yeah, I, it's going to be a very interesting deadline, I think. Um, but what I my own my main point was pretty much just that you know for all the talk that and I I totally believe that it was probably going to be a buyer's market this year too because of how many sellers there were. It looked like it would. Be. I don't think there there's a chance. And who knows, it's still three weeks away, so maybe Chicago and uh, Anaheim keep lo- or start and keep losing, and you know what, Colorado hits a massive slide or something, and they decide to sell. Who, maybe. Yeah. But if it's like this, and it's that close in the West, I don't think a lot of those teams will buy, but I don't think a lot of those teams will truly sell off either. They might sell a bit of pieces here and there, but... Yeah, and then say one of Stone or Duchesne signs, then one of the big pieces available is gone, too. Like, yeah, I assume one of those guys are probably around. Did you see uh, today they said Stone's on the back burner? Oh, gosh. Until the Duchesne talks are done? One of the things that I think is very underrated about Ottawa and then what Dorian's going to have to do this deadline is they don't have any front office help. Like, they have an assistant, one assistant GM, a lot of teams have two. They have one assistant GM, and then they their front office in general is just very small. So That's Dorian himself is doing all the contract, most of the contract talking, all of the trade talks. So when you've got, I did an article uh, the other day about looking at guys they might trade. Stone, Duchesne, Dezingle, CeCe. That's a big four guys. 
like, people will give decent assets up probably for all four of those guys. Then you add in guys like Zach Smith, who teams might want more than one year of. Jean-Gabriel Peugeot, same kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Magnus Payarvi, maybe you can get a seventh. but Basically the whole team. <laughs> exactly. Like anyone who's under or over 22 pretty much. That's like when you're Pierre Dorian, he's got to do all that himself. He might run out of time just to do stuff. And I think that would be worst case scenario for Ottawa is he God, runs out of time suck. to truly negotiate a contract but also doesn't get much in a trade or gets nothing in a trade. And I mean, maybe maybe the thing is, uh, Elliot Friedman has reported for pretty much uh, the the entire time that Stone contract talks have been a thing is that there's still some hopeful optimism in Ottawa that he will resign. Duchesne doesn't sound like quite as much, but Stone maybe. So maybe you take the risk, and if you really do think that you can convince Stone to say you don't do anything, you don't even bother talking to him until the trade deadline. You go okay, we're going to talk to you after the trade deadline. You keep him, and then you work on a deal the rest of the year. That's a little risky because if you don't get a deal done, you're losing him for nothing. If he walks, that could look yes. so, so bad. But at the same time, if you just sign him in, say, March instead of February, everyone goes, oh, okay. It's fine. Right? And then so you can focus on your, your big things. So I don't, I don't know. To me, the money's not the problem. It's going to be the signing bonuses that Malnick won't want to pay. I think Ottawa can justify giving Stone $10 million, even with how cheap they are, because they're going to have to pay someone at the end of the day. Yep. And... I think with Stone, he's clearly the heart and soul of the locker room. He's a great player. He is their best player. It just comes down to how hard are they going to lowball him when it comes to signing bonuses. You saw Austin Matthews' contract, 93% signing bonuses. It means he makes a ton of money up front, but it also means come the lockout, he's not going to lose a lot of money. Imagine having $15.2 million show up on your bank account overnight. And then another 15.2 the next year. The next year at the exact same time. Yeah. Um, so we'll see We'll see how that works. I don't know. That would be the big thing for Stone. I think it does kind of seem like he wants to stay. And, I mean, he obviously you can't just trust what it You know, this player said they're going to stay. They clearly do because they're going to say that anyways. But it yeah. does – him and Brady Kachuk have seen like they have literally uh, – have really gotten along this year and – it shows on the ice, too. They've been their best duo on the ice for the Senators, so... Yeah, they've been good together. I don't know. It'll be interesting, that's for sure. Uh, do you have anything else? Not really. I just... I'm just soaking in all of the aggressive Twitter reactions to the Matthews stuff still. <laughs> there were some takes. Alright, back to Matthews for a second. Okay. I saw it a lot yesterday. Do you think Kyle Dubas is a shitty negotiator? <laughs> <laughs> Totally offside is going to be replying to us on this one. Was because, it him that said yeah, it? Yeah, it was him that oh, said okay. it. Um, no, I wouldn't call him shitty. Or, like, bad, I guess. I don't, again, I don't think he did as great of a job as he could have. No. Uh, does that make him necessarily bad? I don't know about that. I, on the flip side, I think you could look and say the deal he got for Muzzin was very good. Yeah. He seems fine at negotiating trades. On the flip side, you could say the deal he signed Eland to was very respectable, very reasonable. I know not everyone thought about that, but Nylander was asking for eight, nine million dollars. They got him down to six point nine, so seven million. I think that's a you know, and obviously he had to let Nylander sit out, but I think that's a fine deal. I think um, a lot of the overreaction came from assuming Marner's getting 10-plus and just kind of penciling that in. Maybe, maybe. I, You know, if we're talking just the Matthews contract, I think people didn't like the fact that it was five years and still the cap hit they figured it would be for an eight-year deal. Yeah. And the, the one big point that I did see for me is, why did you feel this need, needed to be done on February 6th if this was your best possible deal? Maybe it's possible that the Matthews camp just wasn't going to budge, so you figure, all right, let's just get it over with and we won't worry about it in the summer. That is actually a really good point I haven't seen. Matthews wasn't really going to make himself, unless he won a Smythe, he wasn't making himself more expensive no, than e- this. Exactly. And so that, that was my big question as well is if this, because I, again, we went over this, it's a fine deal. It probably could have been a little better in terms of other people and how they've screwed out RFAs, but yeah. at the same time, the Leafs probably just got unlucky because Matthews is clearly setting a trend, I think, here. Yeah. But if if you could have thought, and maybe they just didn't think they could get a better deal, but I think even slashing, say, 
300k off of this, but it takes an extra month to do. Why don't you do that? Yeah. I get you don't want to just hardball your franchise centerman and piss him off or anything like that, but it's not like this it's not like this got signed in August. It's not like this deal had to be done for another yeah, right? True. That's my only thing is kind of why I wonder it, but I don't know. Like I don't think he's a shitty neg- negotiator by any means. I had, I'm not I'm not off the fence that he's a great one. No, he's obviously not the perfect messiah that everyone on Twitter would have liked him to be. But no, but I mean, he's done a fine job. I can't complain about any of the contracts he's given out. Even the Matthews one. Yes, I would have. If I'm a Leafs fan, I would have liked it to be better. But it's still a fine deal. Yeah, like the more and more I think about it, the more and more I just have just. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. And everybody's just and, losing their mind. Well, I and I, I think people expected good and not fine, and that's part of the reason. True. Um, yeah, that's very true. And I, that's fair. You know, you look around the star players in the league, you know, Crosby's on an insanely good deal. Um, you know, even McDavid is good relative to his value because he's Connor McDavid. Well, that McDavid deal will look good, yeah. just like the Crosby deal does now, five I, years from now or whatever. Exactly. I mean, again, you look at other RFAs like Nathan McKinnon, who bet on himself on the wrong year because he's yes. at six mil now for another couple of years. But, yeah, I just, I don't know, it's fine. I just, yeah, that's And like the, fine is all you need because Matthews is an amazing player, so a fine contract for an amazing player yeah. means you... You shouldn't be complaining, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Because at the start, I was leaning towards cringing a little bit. I was like, "This is not good." And then the more and more I saw fans of other teams basically being like, "What the heck are you guys complaining about?" <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I feel like you can't be complaining about locking down a franchise yeah. center no matter what. Like, yeah, like the more and more I saw the group of people who love to like make fun of the like. Like, people were literally saying John Tavares was a bad signing for the Leafs. People like to say anything the Leafs do is terrible, and yet nearly everything I saw from other teams was like, why is Leafs Twitter having such a meltdown? Yeah, and I think that's fair. That started to walk me more into the shrug-my-shoulders territory. Uh, An interesting thing from the Marner negotiation I saw today, uh, that was in my mentions while I woke up, was Marner, he can't sit out. If he wants to play for the Leafs, he can't sit out. Because they're not going to be able to take the big cap hit next year like they did for Nylanders this year. Oh, God, I didn't even think about that. So they need to get a deal done before the season, or Varner will either be sitting out likely the full year or getting moved somewhere. Traded. Yeah. If he, if he did sit out the full year, that would help their long-term cap <laughs> situation a ton, but that would be a hellish year. Yeah, so... That I didn't even think of that until last night, and someone's like, "Well, they can't do what they did with Nylander to Marner because they can't afford to uh, take." Because for those of you who don't know, because Nylander sat out half the year, his salary hit or his uh, salary cap this year is like almost double. It's about ten million dollars for this season, but then it goes down to six point nine for the rest. So with Marner next year, and it goes, it's a two way street there too because Marner will have to know that he needs to get a deal done unless he's going to get moved. And the least need to know it too. And the least need to get him because you don't you don't want a guy like Marner sitting out. No, God, no. And every day you keep him, it's just gonna lower his trade value as well. So yeah. it's only a two way street there, but it'll be interesting to watch going forward. Um, yeah, I'm worried about. <laughs> it should be a very very interesting negotiation. That's for sure. Yeah, I'm interested to see if people actually turn on him like they did with Nylander. I feel like it'll take a little longer, but the way he's a. Agent has been so aggressive. I definitely feel like it, that's going to be a good possibility. I feel like there will always be that portion of the fan base that tunes into Hockey Night in Canada every week to watch Don Cherry and loves the good Canadian boy that will never never turn on never turn on him. However, just generally speaking, I mean, I've even seen people already when you know the agents quotes yesterday about how we're getting lowballed or whatever. They're like, "Oh, suck it up. You're not the franchise centerman." I was just like, "Well, okay." I didn't actually expect that to be the response. Yeah, that kind of surprised me too. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like some people will, but definitely not as quick or as much as turn on Nylander. Yeah, that's fair. Um, anything else? Uh, yeah, just the other thing is, I guess with Marner too, you cannot sign him for five years too. <laughs> that mm. would be, like, I think it's, I saw a lot of people talking about how the Leafs are screwed in five years and how... Like, I think that's very overdramatic, but it would be very, very bad to have Matthews, Nylander, and Marner all up at the same time as UFAs. 
Yeah, I think I don't. Know, I could see one of them walking. Not probably not Matthews. I could see like a Nylander not having room in the in the Leafs' plans if he needs a very big race. If he takes in, a massive step forward, yeah, in, in five years, uh, it definitely wouldn't be the most ideal thing. Yeah, I don't. I would, would it love be, to avoid five. Yeah, I mean, would it be impossible? No, but no, obviously not. The other thing with the Matthews in five years, people were talking as if he's gonna like set to leave. I yeah, I don't see that, especially if they win. I think it's more five years, and then he can give himself an eight year deal or mm-hmm. whatever the cap or whatever the CBA uh, says by that time. Yeah, like give him an, uh, himself another max deal while he's still in his prime. But w- exactly what John Tavares did. Exactly. So yeah, the only precedent for someone leaving as soon as they possibly could recently has been a guy leaving to come to the Leafs. Yeah, the difference was John Tavares was on one of the best contracts in the league at like was he paid four four or five million? Five point five for seven years. Absolutely idiotic. But yeah, yeah but still, yeah, I don't have much more to say uh, on anything this week. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I think. If I'm a Leafs fan, I just shut up for now and enjoy the ride here. See where the playoffs take you. Yep. Um, I think as we get close to the trade deadline, talks will move from contract to what they should do. Uh, once the trade deadline passes, it becomes trying to get ready for the playoffs and and figure out how to how to beat Tampa or how to get out of round one, I guess first, and then beat, then Tampa, beat Tampa in round Tampa. two. So uh, yeah, I would just, but I would enjoy the ride. I mean, they got a like, the Leafs have a great team. And the Matthews thing sets a timeline with six shots at a cup. Yeah, at least. Yeah, minimum. So, you can't really complain about that. Um, No, that's more than almost every other I would love six shots at a cup. Let's (laughs) put it that way. My team will be lucky to be close to done rebuilding by then. Yeah. If Melnick's still around. True. Uh, uh, That's probably it then. You can find us pretty much anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Uh, You can find my work at lastwordonhockey.com. Uh, you can find Chase on Twitter at CMHockey66, myself at NHL Sends and stuff. And we will see you next week. Thanks for listening.